Well, I want to, as, as we look at this portion of Scripture, I really want us to look at two things, and that is what God wants for us and what God provides for us. So in these 11 verses, we're simply going to look at mainly those two things, what God wants for us and what God provides for us. Because we're asking the question, how can you and I live the Christian life? How can I live to the glory of God? Now, it's, in, in some ways, that's an easy answer. If you just turn a couple of chapters to the right, to John chapter 17, to John chapter 17, this whole aspect of living to the glory of God, in John chapter 17 and verse 4, Jesus is praying to the, his Father, and he says, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So I think that you and I are going to glorify God in the same way. We're going to accomplish the work that God has given us to do. Now, what is the work that God has given you to do? I don't know. <laughs> that's, for you, that's for you to figure out, right? But God has some work for each and every one of us. And we glorify God by accomplishing that work. So again, how is it that we can accomplish the work that God has for us? And I think the first thing that we need to realize is that God is the one who's going to make that happen. We're not going to make that happen. I think we can discover that, and I think we can cooperate with God. But ultimately, God is the one that's going to make it happen. And so when you look all throughout the Scriptures, what do we read about God? Well, we read about the fact that He cares for us. We read about the fact that he's our great almighty king who cares for us, his subjects. We read about the fact that he's our heavenly father and he seeks our righteousness and he provides all that we need to live. We also see that God is our refuge. He is our strength. He's our strong tower. He is our rock. He is our shepherd. He is our fortress. He is our shield. He is our redeemer. And those are just some of the things that God is. Now, in today's passage... What do we see about God? We see that God is the vine dresser there in verse 1. Jesus says, I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. He's the gardener. He's the cultivator who cares for his garden. Now, what is the main reason that anyone would have to plant a garden? What are you looking for? Produce, right? You're looking for produce, whether that be vegetables, whether that be fruit, whether that be flowers, whether that be shrubs or whatever. Anyway, the reason you have a garden is to produce produce. Now, in this passage, the garden consists of a single vine with multiple branches, branches that require particular attention to maintain their health so that they will produce fruit. Now, I believe this passage, again, is one of the best places I think that we can go to in Scripture to learn about how to live the Christian life. When you want to know what God wants for us in this life, I think this passage is a primary source to that question. So, Jesus is using this metaphor of a vine dresser, vine and branches, to teach us how our Heavenly Father, to teach us about our Heavenly Father, and to teach us what our God wants for us. Specifically, I think that Jesus is teaching us two things in particular about what God wants for us. Number one is, is that we bear much fruit. That's what God wants for us. He wants you to be a fruitful believer. Number two is he wants you to have full joy. So that's what we see. Look in verse 8. By this is my Father glorified. That, what kind of word is that? That is a purpose word. It's telling you why it's going on. That you bear much fruit. 
And then down in verse 11, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So what does God want for his people? He wants us to be, he wants us to bear much fruit and he wants us to have full joy. Are you on board with that? Does that sound okay? Okay. You want to add anything? Better not. <laughs> just testing, just testing. God wants us to live lives that are healthy, that are fruitful, and that are filled with joy. And as God is the vine dresser, he then provides all that we need so that we will be fruitful and joyful. And when we look in this passage, what do we see that God is providing for us? Well, he's providing for us Jesus Christ, the true vine. He's providing for us his own word. He's providing for us prayer. And all of those things are leading to the opportunity for you and I to live an obedient Christian life. So Christ, his word, prayer, and those three things get us, move us in the direction of leaving, living an obedient life. So in this passage, Jesus is teaching about those main ingredients that go into having fruitful, joyful lives. And what we see is that the vine dresser, God, works through the vine to provide nourishment to the branches. And then Jesus talks about how important it is that we abide in him, how important it is that we remain in him, how important it is that we have this vital connection to him. Because it's only as we have this vital connection to Christ that we will produce fruit that glorifies God and brings us joy. So again, as we see, remember, Jesus speaks mainly about three things, himself, he speaks about God's word, and he speaks about prayer. And again, those three things move us in the direction of obedience to God, by, uh, which is the means by which we're going to remain connected to him. So let's, kinda, let's just kind of walk through this passage. Uh, verse 1, I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. So right off the bat, Jesus, God the Son, is the vine. God the Father is the vine dresser. And God is the main player in all of this. Again, when we talk about the fact that we're going to bear much fruit, when we talk about the fact that we're to have full joy, again, God is the main player in all of this. God is the one that is going to make this happen. We're going to cooperate, but God is the main driver of these things. And our God wants us to be fruitful people. He wants us to be bearing much fruit. Uh, as we work through this passage, we're going to see that there's a, there, there's a progression regarding this fruit bearing. If you look in, in verse 2, it talks about not bearing fruit. Then it talks about bearing fruit. And then later on, it talks about bearing more fruit. And finally, when you get down to verse 5, it talks about bearing much fruit. So you're going from no fruit to fruit to more fruit to much fruit. In fact, you have much fruit again uh, reiterated in verse 8. So six different times in this passage, six different times in these 11 verses, this aspect of fruit bearing is mentioned. So let's begin. Let's go back again. Verse 2. Every branch in me, notice what Jesus says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, I believe that this branch that Jesus is referring to here, it is a branch in me, that's what Jesus says, a branch in me that does not bear fruit. I believe that this branch is an unfruitful believer. Again, mainly because he says in me. So God, as our caring vine dresser, he lifts that branch up off the ground and places it into a position 
that is amenable to bearing fruit. Now, again, I understand this is a little bit of a minority position in regard to the meaning of this text. But somebody who's going to preach next week has the same thought. So I'll just leave it at that. Uh, (laughs) But I think it best fits the context and the teaching of this passage that God wants his people to be fruitful. And when he's got a branch that's not fruitful, what is God going to do? What he is going to work in such a way that that branch will bear fruit. He's going to lift it up off the ground. He's going to put it up on a lattice so that it can effectively bear fruit. Now, we ask the question, why does God do that? Why does God take an unfruitful branch and put it in a position where it's going to bear fruit? Now, bearing fruit is the function of the branch. It is the purpose of the. It is the very reason why the branch exists is to bear fruit. And if a branch is not bearing fruit, it's not fulfilling its design function, is it? It's not fulfilling the purpose for which it was created. And if it's not working properly, it's useless. And what do you do with it? Well, either you want, either you fix it or you throw it away. So, what happens when one of God's branches is not bearing fruit? Does God throw it away? No, I don't think so. I think he fixes it. God is called the living God because he does stuff. And some of the stuff that he does is he fixes you because you need fixing. He fixes me because I need fixing in order to bear more fruit. So remember, God is the living God. God will fix you. Now, continue on verse 2. Notice what he goes on to say. He says, every branch in me that does bear fruit, he prunes it. Again, why? That it may bear more fruit. So God will prune that branch so that it will bear more fruit. Again, notice that bearing fruit is the function, is the design, is the purpose for the branch. It is to bear fruit. So even when a branch is faithfully bearing fruit, God will prune that branch so that it will bear even more fruit. Now, recall this pruning process uh, in which an unfruitful part of the branch is cut off and removed. Initially, it's a painful experience. But in the long run, and that's what we need to be thinking when we're talking about the Christian life, we need to be thinking in terms of what is good for the long run. In the long run, this will render the fruitful branch to be even more fruitful, more healthy, and I dare say with greater joy. So in the long term, this painful pruning process will be profitable as more fruit will be produced. Now, how does this pruning work for you and for me? What are some possible ways in which God might prune you and me? Well, God may remove a relationship from us that is hindering your spiritual growth. Or God may remove an activity or a hobby from you because it's taking too much of your focus and your time and your energy. God may change your employment if your work environment is not conducive to your spiritual growth. Or God may take away from you some possession that possesses you. He may take away from you some technology because you're all 
enthralled with it. And again, it just zaps so much of your time and energy. But whatever it is, whatever God cuts out of your life, we need to understand that the reason that he is doing that is because A, he loves us. B, we are, we are, his, we are his branches. We belong to him. He's the gardener. We're the plant. But again, he's doing it so that we'll bear much fruit and that we'll have full joy. So we just need to remind ourselves when we lose something and we mourn that loss, we need to ask ourselves, is God the one that brought that about? And, and what is it that he's trying to accomplish by that? Because God is trying to accomplish something. Because if you're a branch, what is your function? To bear fruit. And that's exactly what God is doing. He wants you to bear fruit. Well, so as Jesus goes on to say in verses 4 and 5, notice what he says. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. So again, the Lord Jesus Christ is that. He is the one who uh, sustains us. He is the one who provides for us the spiritual sustenance that we need in order that we can grow and bear fruit. So we abide in Jesus because branches cannot bear fruit by themselves. And whoever does abide in Jesus, notice what he says here, he will bear much fruit. If you're not abiding in Christ, you cannot bear fruit. So therefore, the very function for which we, the branches, exist is to bear fruit. And that function can only be accomplished as we abide in the true vine, who, of course, is Jesus Christ himself. Now, verse 6, notice what he says in verse 6. If anyone does not abide, so if, if, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a, like a, uh, um, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Now, here's where I think it's talking about unbelievers. It's those branches that are not even connected to the vine. They are not abiding in Christ. So I think, again, this is talking about unbelievers, since all believers are connected to Christ. That's one of the benefits of our salvation, is union with Christ. When we come to saving faith in Christ, we are united to him. We are connected to him. There is that opportunity to abide in him. But for those who do not abide in Christ, those who are unbelievers, they are, as it says here, collected and thrown away and burned. Unconnected branches are most certainly not fulfilling their design function. They are ruined and they are therefore will be destroyed. Now, what about those of us who are abiding in Christ? How is it? How is it that we abide in Christ? Okay, we understand that um, if we abide in Christ, we will bear much fruit. How is it that we abide in Christ? What are the things that we do? Well, I want us to go back up to verse 3 when he says, already you are clean. He says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So God has given us his words. The teachings of our heavenly vine dresser will cleanse us from sin and selfishness. Just as the gardener cleans the bugs and the fungus off the plants by using probably some kind of a pesticide or something like that. So God's word is also going to cleanse us from any and all sin that would keep us from bearing fruit. Now, how is it that God's word cleanses us? And enables us to bear fruit. Well, we've got to apply God's word to our lives. And we're going to see that a little bit later on in this passage, even more so. But for now, let's just acknowledge the fact 
that if you and I are going to abide in Christ, we need to have a regular, steady diet of the Word of God. God's Word is the food that feeds our souls. Paul says this in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 when he's speaking to the Ephesian elders. He says, and now I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up. In Jeremiah chapter 15, in verse 16, Jeremiah says to God, Your words were found and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. Job chapter 23, Job says that he treasures God's word even more, he says, than my necessary food. And of course, in Psalm 119, verses 72 and 127, God's word is of more value than silver and gold. So if you and I are going to abide in Christ, one of the things he has provided for us, as he says here in verse 3, is his word. And we need to have a regular, steady, daily diet of God's word. Well, in addition to God's word, there's prayer. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be, and will be done for you. So... Prayer is another means by which we can abide in Jesus Christ. Prayer is the opportunity that we have, you and I have, to express our thoughts of praise and thanksgiving. It's an opportunity for us to express our concerns of care and worry. It's an opportunity for us to, um, to express our desires for provision and holiness. All of these things we can do in prayer. And in fact, one of my favorite verses in regards to prayer is 1 Peter 5, 7, where Peter tells us, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. So we have that assurance when we bring our anxieties, when we bring whatever it is we bring in prayer to God, he hears our prayers because he cares for us. So when we're abiding, connected to Christ via God's word, we'll be moved by the truths that we see in God's word to, to reach out to God through earnest prayer. God's promise to his branches is that they will see their prayers answered. So that's the two things that we've seen so far that the Lord Jesus Christ provides. He provides his word and he provides prayer. And so now we're going to continue on. And now what does he say? What is going to be the result? If we're faithful in his word, if we're faithful in prayer, what is going to be the result of that? And we see that in verse 8 where he says, By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So being regularly engaged in God's word and prayer will strengthen us spiritually. And it will result in our living a life, I think, that is, just, that, is, that is founded upon truth and can withstand the trials that will inevitably come our way. We're going to be living a life that is active and robust. We're going to have a faith that is strong. And again, as I said, we're going to persevere through the trials that come our way. Now, speaking of that, you don't have to turn there, but I think Jesus teaches us this lesson in the very last portion of the Sermon on the Mount. The very last portion of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. Everyone who hears the words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew, beat on that house, but it did not fall. Because it had been founded on the rock. And again, what was the rock? Jesus said, those who hear these words of mine and does them. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them 
will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and the beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So, they, so we can see that whether or not um, for those who place their trust in God's word and do his word, or if you don't, trials come to everybody, amen? Trials come to everybody. The only way that you're going to be able to persevere faithfully through a trial is if you are strong in the faith. And you're only going to be strong in the faith is if you spend time in God's word and prayer. Faithfully striving to cultivate that relationship with Christ. Well, as we move on through the passage, verses 9 and 10, notice what the Lord Jesus Christ says. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in love, my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Notice that Jesus says in this passage, our obedience to him is the means and the evidence that we're actually abiding in him, that we're actually abiding in his love. Now, we know this intuitively. I mean, when you just think about this for just a second, even in our own personal human relationships, that probably applies to dogs too, but if I'm going to have a relationship with somebody that's happy, secure, beneficial, and fulfilling, then I'm going to gladly fulfill whatever righteous request somebody brings my way. Amen? And if I don't do that, I'm basically stiff-arming them. So if my desire is to please them, even at a personal cost to me, well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to obey them, so to speak, by granting what they ask me to do for them. Jesus says that his, his command is that we love one another. If you look down in verse 12, just the, the verse right after this passage, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Now, that's a pretty staggering request there but this is what Christ is asking his branches to do this is an extreme example obviously of obedience but this is what God calls his branches to do so if I consistently refuse to comply with the righteous requests or needs of a brother or sister I'm not treating them in a loving way and I'm not cultivating a loving relationship with them instead I'm just being selfish and I'm stiff-arming them. I'm not loving them as, as God would have me do that. And James and, and 1 John both tell us this. Both of those apostles teach us that if our brother or sister comes to us in need and we don't give them the goods to meet those needs, then the love of God is not abiding in us. And so the same truth is regarding obedience applies to our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. When he commands us to do something, if we desire him, if we want to cultivate that relationship with him, if we want to maintain that relationship, if we want to abide in him, we are going to obey him. And that, again, that's, that's the, exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ has called us to. When you think about the Great Commission, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do, do what? Observe all things that I have commanded you. Obedience is an integral part of the Christian life. In fact, at one point in time in Luke chapter 6, 
in verse 46, Jesus looked at his disciples and says, And why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? Valid question, is it not? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? So again, we see that obedience is a major factor in our abiding in Christ. Well, if we spend regular time in God's Word, if we are faithful in prayer, bringing our request to God, if we are faithful to live obediently to the things that God shows us in His Word, what will be the result? What will be the outcome of living on a steady diet of God's Word, spending time with our God in prayer, and working to be obedient to His loving commands? And that answer is in verse 11. Notice what Jesus says. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So, full joy is the blessing that God himself has reserved for everyone who will abide in the true vine that he has provided. Now, another question to ask. What does full joy look like? Right? Valid question. I mean, Jesus promises full joy. What does that look like? And so when I think about this aspect of the Christian life, me personally, my thoughts drift over to the book of Ecclesiastes, believe it or not. Now, you might not think Ecclesiastes is a good book to find joy because how does the preacher start the book? Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. But, there's some good stuff there, too. So, when you think about it, in Ecclesiastes, you don't have to turn there, but I think the key verse in that, that whole book is Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 14. And this is what Solomon writes. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider, God has made one as well as the other. So that a man may not find out anything that will, be be, uh, that will be after him. So I think that full joy is living under the sovereign hand of God. So that whether tomorrow is the best day of my life. Or whether tomorrow is the worst day of my life. Doesn't matter. I'm going to rejoice in God. Knowing that it was God himself who designed and brought about that day. Amen. That I believe is full joy. Because joy, obviously, again, as we all understand, happiness depends on circumstances. Joy does not. So, again, if tomorrow's my best day, man, rejoice. Tomorrow's my worst day, man, rejoice. But I'm going to do it. It's an act of the will. But, again, you can do it. I can do it. Because, again, whenever there's some problem with you, who's going to fix you? Yeah, the vine dresser. God himself will fix you. And we need to be thankful for that. So this is how we're going to end up. What does God want for us? Much joy. I mean much fruit and full joy. What has God provided for us to be fruitful and joyful? He's provided union with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He's provided his word, prayer, all of that leading to obedience to Christ's commands and all of that resulting in the fact that we're going to live lives that generate much fruit and we'll experience that full joy, as Jesus said, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let's pray.
Lord God, again, we thank you for your grace that is evident in our lives. Father, we thank you that you are the one who has called us to live this Christian life. You're the one who has saved us. You're the one who's called us with a holy calling. You're the one who has provided for us everything that we need in order to live in a way that glorifies you, in order to live in a way that is, that is producing much fruit, that is bearing much fruit. You're the one who's designed how it is that we can have this full joy that you, that you have designed for us. And we pray, Lord God, that we would be faithful in these things. Lord God, even this day, we pray that you would continue to um, guard our hearts, keep us from evil as, it's, as, as the Lord Jesus Christ prayed, deliver us from evil. And Father, again, we just pray your hand of blessing upon the remainder of our day and our week. And these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen.